This is the Out of Water Podcast. Thanks for checking out our podcast. I'm the man behind the controls, Mark Lautenschlager. In studio with me today, your hosts, Pastor of Spiritual Formation, Reverend Sam Kastensmit, and Co-Director of Student Ministries, Drew Brown. This time on Out of Water, we're talking about the subject of loneliness. Now, loneliness is a topic that affects everybody. Um, I think that we hear about it from every age and generation and walk of life, but let's kind of begin at the beginning. Drew, what is loneliness? I would describe loneliness as a sense of emptiness or a feeling that you don't belong, that there's this sense of disconnection that you're experiencing. That you don't have a tribe yeah. kind of thing. It's like there's no, you don't have your people. Yeah, like this, truly like this feeling that you are completely alone, whether that be emotionally, physically, in whatever sense. It's just feeling disconnected, isolated, and just empty. And it is possible to be alone, but not lonely, right? Yeah, for I sure. Mean, we, we, have to, we have to acknowledge that. Some people like their, some people are alone, but not lonely. So there's something more than just, I'm by myself. There's something more to it. Absolutely. Loneliness is more than just the lack of the presence of people. Right. It's it's a deeper pain that we feel when we feel that the presence of people isn't in our lives in a meaningful way. Sam, would you agree with that assessment of what loneliness is? Yeah, I do agree with that. I think, you know, all of us long to be loved and respected and desired by other people. Mm-hmm. And I think loneliness can come in those moments where we feel like nobody really knows us and we don't have meaningful interactions with other people where we feel known, cared about, like there's somebody who has our back and is rooting for us. Mm-hmm. Now, when we were planning the show out and talking about it, it seems like this is the kind of thing that can overtake almost anyone. I mean, there's nobody that's immune to loneliness. Absolutely. Because yeah. we talked about it in terms of all of our own lives and times that, that we have experienced it, but it has just become a big problem today? Yeah, it's become a very big problem. It's, it's been in the news. A lot of uh, sociologists are looking at this, wondering why all of a sudden they're seeing this spike in problems that are coming from loneliness. Um, Cigna, who's one of our big health insurance providers, began to notice that there was actually a correlation, they believed, between people's health and loneliness. And so they did this massive study, one of the biggest studies into loneliness, and what they found was startling, and it was nearly half of people uh, feel lonely. They feel Hmm. left out. Um, They don't have those meaningful social interactions. That's every other person. 100 people in a room, 50 people are going to feel that. Yeah, and that's that's wild. wild. And, And so what they also found is when they looked at the correlation between whether or not they felt lonely and left out and health, they came across some really stunning results. So one of the things they found was being lonely has the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day on your health. So Hmm. smoke 15 cigarettes a day, loneliness. They Hmm. found that it was worse for your health than obesity. And BYU, on the heels of that study, looked into – they did a survey of 300,000 people, and they found that people – that do not have strong social ties or people who do have strong social ties live seven and a half years longer than those who feel lonely and have weak social ties. Dr. Vivek Murthy, who was the uh, Surgeon General under President Obama, said that during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. 
He went on to say, loneliness is a growing health epidemic. We live in the most technologically connected age in the history of civilization, and yet the rates of loneliness have doubled since the 1980s. Hmm. So we're alone in a crowd. In this case, we're alone on the interwebs. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, this idea that we're the most connected society that has ever existed. This incredible connected database that we have where we can access information on anything. And what do we do with it? We argue with people we don't know and we look at cat pictures. And at the time I thought, well, that's interesting. Now I think that's all I look at is cat pictures. I mean, cat <laughs> pictures are the whole reason I've got a smartphone. So, <laughs> it's true. You've become a cat man, Mark. I have become a cat person. That's, I, unabashedly, which is most of my friends have a great deal of support about that. So let's talk about how people experience loneliness. Drew, how would you answer that question? Are there different ways in which we experience loneliness? Definitely. I think that there's so many ways you can experience loneliness. You can be literally lonely because physically or spatially you are not around people. So maybe you've moved to a new place or maybe you're in a city or a community where you don't know a lot of people or you're, there's not a lot of people around that could produce loneliness. But I think even more often we find in our culture that there's a loneliness that we experience emotionally that is extremely deep. So you can feel lonely when you're going through suffering, when you're experiencing grief and just struggling with this feeling of nobody, nobody's able to, to be in this with me or they don't understand Mm. that can produce deep loneliness. Uh, I think that you can also experience loneliness if you're struggling with something, whether that be, a sin or something that maybe you haven't shared with people and you Mm. feel like they don't understand you or you're scared that if they did understand you, they wouldn't want to still be with you. That could definitely produce more loneliness and also just having relationships where you don't feel known. I think that that causes huge amounts of loneliness in our lives because if you are surrounded by people, but you feel like they don't know you in in a purposeful, meaningful way, that is extremely lonely that's an excellent point people don't know you i know that you know going back into the annals of my own you know time machine here Mm -hmm. that there was a time when i sort of deliberately caused loneliness if you will because i believed my my sense of self-worth my image of myself was so poor that i believed that if somebody did know me yeah. They wouldn't like me. Hmm. So I behaved in a certain way so that I was controlling the relationship. You know, if you really knew me, maybe you'd like me, maybe you wouldn't, but I'm not willing to risk that. So I'm going to act like a jerk. And when you, and when you walk away from me going, he's a jerk, I'd be like, well, you just don't know the real me. Yeah. So I, you know, plausible deniability there. So there's a sense in which, you know, to some extent, we may bring this on ourselves because of our own self image and our own self doubt and that kind of thing. I think some loneliness can be because we have kind of set ourselves up in that way. And I think some of it we don't seek out and it just, we Mm. find it finds us or we find ourselves in situations where we are lonely. But definitely I think that there are times where I know in my own life that I have literally pushed people out. Maybe they didn't even realize it, but I kept them at arm's length, thus ensuring that I would stay lonely Mm. because I was scared to actually let them in because like you said, it's risky. It is risky. So if we're talking about loneliness as being, you know, not wanted, not desired, not really known and appreciated for who you are, well, that manifests itself in two different ways. So you have the outcast and you also have the celebrity. Mm -hmm. Now the outcast makes sense to us. That's the person who's 
who's on the outs. You know, they're ashamed of who they are. It's, you know, in the Bible, you would think of Jesus coming to the woman at the well who's coming right at noon at the hottest part of the day because she doesn't want anyone else around her because she's got a shameful past and she doesn't want anyone around her and she feels unlovable. She's hiding. Yeah, she's okay. hiding, right? Yeah. But then you also have celebrity loneliness, which you also find one chapter away from the woman at the well. And that's found in someone like a Nicodemus, right? Here's somebody who's on the Sanhedrin, who's this great big public religious figure that everybody wants a piece of. He's the celebrity. He's this Mm. wonderful guy. And yet when he wants to show vulnerability, what does he do? He comes and finds Jesus in the middle of the night when no one's going to be around because during the day, he's got to keep up a public persona. Nobody can really know who he is. Because if he let people know that he really had doubts, that he was insecure, that he was sad, or whatever the case might be, man, that would cost him a lot. And so you see this in our culture. You know, people who have celebrity will tell you that they're some of the loneliest people on the planet because they can't risk being really known. Hmm. And so on either side of the extreme, you can find deep, painful loneliness. Hmm. I find myself wondering, though, about... Is it transient? Can we be lonely? Can it come and go, Drew? Is it like something that can stick? You know, it's like I'm lonely, but then it kind of goes away. I would say so. In my life, there's been seasons where I felt really lonely and it felt like it endured. But then to be quite honest, I can have moments where I feel lonely and it could be I'm in a room with a bunch of my friends and I feel like I should be having so much fun and it should be life giving and I feel alone and I feel like I'm not connecting and no one really sees me or they don't understand me. And then I wake up the next morning and I'm okay. Like (laughs) it is. So I think that when we talk about loneliness, sometimes it can, it can have a tendency to feel like if you say you're lonely, then it is this, this statement that you've been feeling this way for a long time. And although that can be true, I do think it by experience in my own life, loneliness can also rise up in very surprising moments where I'm almost caught off guard. Like, why am I feeling lonely right now? Yeah. This is this is surprising. Doesn't make any sense. I, and I, I have to imagine that these are kind of coming from different places, different causes. I mean, we we feel lonely for different reasons, but a transient loneliness that kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, I don't know that that's the same as I'm not able to. You know, I've I've moved to a new city, for example, and I can't connect with anybody. Or uh, I'm there's no, there's nobody at work that that has the same interests as me, so I don't have any friends to hang out with. I think there's some sense to to where when you're talking about transient loneliness, a lot of what sparks that is, you know, in our heart, in our mind, we're constantly accusing ourselves also. And so we're our own worst critics. Yeah, we'll be our own worst critics. I'll have done something that I'm not proud of. I'll feel bad. And then I project that how I perceive my failures or my lack of worth or value, I then presume that the whole rest of the world is looking at me through those lenses. Everybody knows. Everybody. Everybody (laughs) looks at me like I'm a mess. They have no idea. My mom used to say when I was growing up, you wouldn't care so much what other people thought of you if you realized how rarely they did. Now, that sounds harsh, (laughs) (laughs) but it's true. Like I can remember going into a weekend when I was younger, and I'd be really worried that everybody was mad at me for some stupid thing that I did, and I would stew on it all weekend, and I'd be worried what it's going to be like to come back to school on Monday. Then I'd come back to school on Monday, and guess what? Nobody has given this a second thought. They've moved on. Half of them don't even remember what it was about, but I've destroyed my weekend, assuming that everybody now hates me and I'm alone. Oh. Uh, well, 
And I also think that too, with this like transient loneliness that might catch us off guard or surprise us, mm-hmm. that I think part of the reason it's so hard to talk about loneliness is because we don't always understand it. And I know that if you, if That's you're true. sitting down with somebody and you're talking about loneliness and you know exactly why you feel lonely, it might be really hard for you to talk about and it might be really vulnerable, but you at least understand that you know the roots of it. Right. When you don't know why and you feel crazy because yeah, you just have this loneliness just spring up out of nowhere, like that can, I don't know. I think that there can be an embarrassment that people can feel to say like, I'm feeling lonely and I don't even know why. Like it's, I know it's not making sense to you. It doesn't make sense to me right now. But I think what's important too is recognizing that being able to make sense of it all or piece it all together shouldn't be the basis of why we feel the freedom to talk about it and be Mm. known because in authentic community, I need to have people in my life where I can come to them and say, Hey, I can't connect any dots right now, but I am really lonely and I have no idea why, but will you walk this with me? However long or short it may be. Uh Let me, I'm gonna take a jump here because, um, Dr. Gage loves to tell me this all the time. He says, Mark, you have to remember we're supernaturalists. Is his favorite way of reminding me that it's that as we walk through life, we have to consider things that are beyond the the physical realm. So just like we have to say that we have an advocate, we also have an adversary. And I wonder sometimes if these kind of out of nowhere, you know, bursts of loneliness for no understandable reason that just kind of overtake us. Could that be a spiritual attack? Could that be, you know, is, the, is, is that something that, that the devil wants to do, that Satan wants to do to discourage us? He's going to, like, you know, can he provoke that kind of thing, do you think? Or is that like a, am I, am I theologically out in left field here, Pastor No, Sam? no, no. I would say that you're absolutely right. Okay. I would say, you know, if you look at the heroes of Scripture, that if we take a, the big survey of Scripture, you look at some of the mightiest men that chased after God and mm-hmm. sought to to bring redemption to the to the nations. You know, they were crushed under the weight of loneliness. That's what ultimately broke their back to where they were like, I can't do this anymore. You think of Elijah, who's this mighty prophet. When he's on Mount Sinai and he is falling apart at the seams and he has his one chance to have it out with God, what is the reason that he lays before God as to why he's despairing? He says, I'm alone. I alone am left. I'm lonely. You look at Job, who suffers unbelievable difficulties, like real tragedy. He loses his sons. He's, lose, he's lost all of his industry. He loses his wealth. Massive reasons for tragedy. But if you read his laments to God, the vast, vast majority of them is, I'm alone. I used to be respected. People used to come to me. They used to talk mm. to me. But now all I get is scorn. I'm alone. You look at the Apostle Paul, who ends his life writing the letter to Timothy, Second Timothy, the last chapter that he writes in the Scriptures. He feels like a failure. He feels like everybody's deserted him. He's got just a handful of friends left that are precious to him, right? Right. And so you have these (laughs) men, these mighty heroes. Loneliness is what crushes them. And so loneliness is a powerful, powerful tool of the enemy. And if he can get you to believe that everybody has abandoned you, even God has abandoned you, Mm. that is powerful in the hand of the enemy and it's we have to constantly remind ourselves no 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 god will never ever ever leave or forsake us the issues of loneliness coming from our own feelings of inadequacy and not having a good idea of self-worth 
as we were kind of going through that and talking about it, we, we all agreed that the first foundational step to having a good self-image is to understand that God has chosen us, has called us, has invested himself in us, he's poured out his spirit on us, that we are part of a select group in the sense that we're his people, his children, his followers, and that that's why we start with, okay, I'm not completely useless. <laughs> I can't be completely useless because God said, all right, I can use this one. The heart is deceitful above all things is what the scripture says. And so there's times when we feel that way, when we're accusing ourselves and we feel alone, that we have to tell our own brains to shut up and remember Mm. that Jesus went to a cross to die for us because he sees us as being that valuable. That's our price tag in his eyes. You know, when we go back to Genesis and we look at the beginnings of human relationship, what does that tell us about the importance of friendships and relationships, how God established, you know, humankind and, 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 and brought us forth? Yeah, one of the things that's that's unique about our faith and it's really, really wonderful, is we serve a God in which there is, there's this triune nature, a trinity, one God and three persons, right? And so what that means, and it's really fascinating, is long before he created the world, long before he created anything, he existed in relationship before he created anything. Mm-hmm. And so relationship is kind of his essence, He's in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then he creates all things. He's repeating again and again, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he makes man, and the first time in all of scriptures where he says, this is not good, he says it's not good that the man should be alone. Mm -hmm. So he himself is in relationship in the Trinity. He makes man who's alone, and he looks at him and he says, well, this is not good. He's made to be in fellowship. He's made to be in community and what, is, what he does next is unbelievably beautiful and very instructive. Rather than just bending down and picking up another pile of dirt and creating Eve and saying, okay, here's your partner, in a pre-fallen world where Adam has done nothing wrong, he puts Adam into a deep sleep, wounds his side, and from a wounding creates a bride. Now, what does that tell us about relationships? That tells us from the beginning, hmm. God is saying, if you want relationships to be precious to you, they're going to come out of wounding. Hmm. It comes from sacrificing. We see that with our Lord, right? Wow. When he wins his bride, <laughs> it comes out of a wound. He sacrifices to show, what does Jesus say? The greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And here's Adam, the first relationship ever formed, comes out of a wounding. Hmm. So, Drew, is the problem of loneliness getting worse yeah, I mean, I think that even just the pure statistics that Sam read earlier show that and speak to the fact that there is an epidemic of loneliness, especially in our in our country here. But I do think it's radically increasing, and I think that a lot of it is interesting because we're one of the most connected societies, and yet we feel extremely disconnected. And I think a lot of that has to do with this brokenness that we experience in relationships. Mm -hmm. We live in this very individualistic society and it's, I I believe that it's hard for all of us at some level to, to do what Sam was talking about and to allow ourselves to be wounded Mm. in relationships. So CS Lewis has this quote that Sam actually showed to me earlier this week. And it was really powerful for me because it speaks to this and and C.S. Lewis says to love it all is to be vulnerable, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. 
Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea of love being vulnerable terrifies us because we know it and we feel it. And so to have to allow ourselves to be wounded for the sake of relationship is risky and it's costly. And I think that it sometimes feels easier to just remain alone, which is really heartbreaking. Well, because the people that can hurt us the most, that can wound us the most deeply are the ones that know us the best. Yeah. It's the ones that we feel safe with, that we've, we feel like we have a relationship with, that we understand how they feel about us. And then all of a sudden we find out that, whoop, we were wrong. I mean, that's the deepest wound of all. <laughs> if somebody that I barely know says, you're an idiot. I'm like, okay, fine. But if somebody that I respect and that I think respects me is like, you're an idiot. I'm like, oh, wow. Maybe I'm an idiot. You know, that kind of thing. I mean, it's just a, it's a totally different thing. It's a much deeper wounded. Yeah. And our relationships are broken. Like people aren't perfect and they're not always going to respond perfectly when we open up vulnerably. And sometimes they will respond really well and we'll feel known and yeah. we'll feel like we belong, but sometimes they won't. And I think that brokenness is real, but I think that it, if that, if we look at that and we acknowledge the fact that there's a brokenness in relationships and we just say, okay, well, I'm done. I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to carry everything myself. That is loneliness because we're mm. believing mm -hmm. that is, I, I would say believing the lie that I think the enemy would love for us to buy into that. Just don't try. Right. It's always going to end up that way. Just stay alone, stay hidden. Uh, it's too risky. By the way, I am willing to admit that the possibility exists that I am an idiot. I'm just going to say that because it might be possibly true. <laughs> well, after the po we can we can talk after the podcast. after the podcast. Sam, um, the, the problem of loneliness getting worse, but is it is it getting worse generationally? Are there different generations, and is it worse now in this generation than before? One of the things that these studies have found, and it's been surprising. Usually, when you think of loneliness in ministry context, you think of you know sending people out to visit. Uh, nursing homes and shut-ins, it's the older generation that you usually consider as lonely. And, and there's absolutely truth to that. Loneliness goes into every single generation. But sure. one of the things that the studies have found that's really shocking is the relationship between the numbers of lonely people, percentages, proportions, is inverted to your generation. So the, gr the greatest generation, the oldest Americans, have the lowest rates, prevalence, of loneliness. Then the baby boomers, then Generation X, my generation, then the millennials, and the most lonely generation by measurements, and it's by far, is Generation Z. It's this generation that's coming up out of high school and college right now, and they're overwhelmed by loneliness. And I yeah. think one of the things that this gets back to, one of the blessings of technology is it gives us this, these connections, right? But it also makes us available to everybody, Everybody <laughs> has access yes. to us all the time. Yeah. And you couple that with this plague of busyness that we did an episode on a couple of podcasts ago. It means everybody's bandwidth is totally full all the time. And so that's why now when you get a phone call from somebody, you cringe and you think, oh, could you just send me the text message? I'm going to let this go to voicemail. <laughs> the, even the tiniest bit of sacrifice or investment into another person, we, we, we cringe at. We just don't have the bandwidth for that anymore. And so this, this younger generation in particular doesn't have those deep, deep, meaningful relationships. They have tons of friends, tons of companions, 
and nobody who knows them really intimately. Mm. And it's they're they're buckling under the weight of loneliness. And I think back to what it was like for my parents back in the 1960s when my dad built our our second house. My father was a foreman with the phone company, and every night after work, the men who worked for him in his crew, they would show up voluntarily at this lot and help him build this house and that sense of of community, that sense of real hands on. Like not not only do I know you, but I'm going to show up and do something with you and for you. That kind of thing. That was what that generation was used to. And now we bring it all the way down to the youngest generation here, and they're having this loneliness at that young age. And I think it's because their peers, their friends, aren't willing to do that. They're not willing to show up. Yeah, maybe I'll like your post on Instagram, maybe, if you use the right filter, you know, or you say something nice about me, I'll like your post, that kind of thing. That's all I'm willing to do for you. I'm not willing to actually show up and help you build a house or help you fix a car or whatever. Yeah, there's a philosopher, I can't remember who he is, but he's recent, and he said that this is the first time where people see suffering as a surprise. You know, every generation that's gone before us, especially, you know, going back a ways, has always said, you know, life is going to deal hardships. And so you band together and you you overcome, right? You, you find your deepest relationships in the midst of the greatest suffering. That's why, you know, in boot camp, these guys are willing to die for each other because they've gone through hell together. Or that's right. why fraternities do hazing, because you suffer together. You bind yourselves together through suffering, and I think one of the reasons why there's this acute loneliness, it's, it's oxymoronic. We're so desperate to prevent suffering from coming into our lives, we are crushed under the weight of loneliness. Well, how do you overcome loneliness? You enter into the suffering of another person, and you develop these bonds through that mutual suffering together. You know, one of the other lines that C.S. Lewis said is, he says, a friendship is born in that moment where you hear someone say, oh, you too? I hmm. thought I was alone in that. Yeah. You know, when you can walk through these things together, that's when friendships are born. And we're, we're averse to any kind of suffering, even at the slightest scale, which hmm. includes, oh, my neighbor needs help building a house, my friend, my coworker. Right. Oh, that's asking too much. I'm already stretched too thin. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm thinking of times in my life when I was younger and I'm putting a stereo in the car and my friend says, yeah, you know, come on over to my house. You can use my tools. So we pull, I pull the car up in his driveway and, and, you know, me and my buddy spent the day upside down wiring speakers and pulling that kind of stuff was commonplace. We commonly would, would drive cross town to, to go do something with someone. And now again, like I'm saying, it's like, I'm hard pressed to decide, am I going to hit that like button or not? Now, Drew, you talked earlier about experiencing loneliness. Is there a specific season of loneliness that you can maybe talk about or relate a little bit that you think might be useful for people to kind of understand sort of to illustrate what we're talking about? Yeah. I think one that really stuck out to me is that my going into my senior year of college, mm -hmm. I went through a really heavy season of loneliness. I had just had a relationship that ended and I just felt completely alone. I felt like nobody understood. Um, I, I didn't know how to talk about it with people. I had all these different emotions I was feeling and I just, honestly, I, I kept people at arm's length, but I had a few roommates at the time who refused to let me keep them away, <laughs> which I'm so thankful for. And I can remember vividly, there was, I had a job at the time, I was a nanny, and I, there was a, a specific day where I felt like I, I couldn't go to work. Like the thought of being 
at work with these little kids, I felt so alone. And I, I was t- describing to my roommate that I just felt so anxious about going to work and feeling hmm. alone. And so this amazing friend of mine gave up her whole day and she went with me <laughs> and she went to my job with me and I just to hang out just to be just with you to be there and quite honestly really she took care of the kids for most of the day and I just was in such a lonely dark place and but I remember in that moment thinking wow like this friend won't let me feel alone like she is going to she and she really I fought her on it and she mm-hmm. just insisted that she she came with me and so I had these amazing friendships that persisted with me through my season of loneliness. And I did feel like, um, by God's grace, there was a lot of healing that happened that year. But as I graduated college and I moved back down to South Florida, I was really excited. I'm from South Florida. I'm working now at the church that I grew up in. My Mm -hmm. family's here. But I had this season of loneliness that hit me like a brick when fall came around and I didn't go back to college. Mm. And I had heard people describe that, how post-grad, that is something that people can feel. But I felt so lonely because those friendships that I had in school, those girls who would literally fight for me when I didn't want to fight for myself, who sat with me in my loneliness, they weren't here. And I, I didn't know, I was in a place where I felt like I shouldn't be lonely because I, mm-hmm. I knew the city. Like I wasn't in a new city. I knew this place. I had family here. I, I worked here. I loved the church here. I loved the people here. But I just was deeply missing what was there. And so I really felt lonely for a long time. And I felt like I didn't know how to form relationships here that I had there. Hmm. And so that was another season where I felt like God really had to soften my heart to Uh, be thankful for the community he gave me there, but to also embrace and look forward to what he was going to do here. (laughs) But that didn't come easily. I'm going to be honest. Like it took time and me realizing like there was new friendships to be had here and they were going to be different, but there was a loneliness in that. What about you, Sam? Uh, I'd say there are seasons that I still struggle with loneliness, but one of the most acute seasons of loneliness that I ever experienced was about three years ago. I was serving as headmaster and pastor and in those roles, you constantly have people that are seeking you out. So right. you're never you're never alone physically. Everybody's constantly coming Thinking, to you. And everybody needs a piece of you. Yeah, everybody yeah. needs a piece of you. And to be honest, I felt loved and I felt respected. But in the busyness of it, I remember one day I was thinking, good grief, everybody is constantly needing something from me. And I had this kind of flippant thought in my head, like, I wonder when the last time somebody reached out to me because they wanted to be with me. When, when was the last time that happened? And I took out my phone, and apart from my wife, I w- started scrolling, and I hit one week, and then I hit two weeks. And then when I got to week three, I quit, and it was crushing. Mm. And, and there's, there's a sense in which you can, you can be loved and you can be respected, but you really want to be desired. Yeah. You want people to want to be with you. You want people that enjoy being around you. And I was coming to realize, like, I've got lots of people that I think and hope, love, and respect me. It seems that way. But I don't have a lot of people seeking me out who desire to be with me. Yeah. And that was crushing. And, I mean, I had to send up red flags to our 
our pastors who are also running a million miles an hour and need community and are, and are faltering under that. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. just the way of our society now. You know, we don't have those people like Drew's friends. Like, that's beautiful. It was. That really was. What I need in those moments, and I need to have the courage and the wisdom to wave the red flag and go, I'm, I'm struggling. I feel alone. I feel like I'm not being desired. And to go to people that I trust and say, I need your help on this. And you know what? These guys are awesome. And they realize that when I'm struggling under that weight, they love me. Yeah. You know, then they say, okay, we need to go out and, and grab dinner. We need to grab a beer. We need to grab, you know, whatever. We need to spend some quality time together right. to build these friendships and to let the busyness kind of fade away a little bit. And, you know, it is something that um, you said, apart from my wife. I think we have to acknowledge that where, you know, yes, those close relationships can they can be the most damaging to us if that if it goes wrong, but they can also be the most nurturing when it goes right. Because I, you know, I can't begin to tell you the number of times where I have felt like absolutely the whole world hates my guts, but my wife doesn't. Yeah, it's you know, she's she's got my back. You know, I think that people that are listening to us talk about this, I'm imagining them thinking, okay, so it sounds like loneliness is a result of something bad and it's just, it's going to happen because there's something wrong with me or the devil's coming after me. But what about Jesus? You know, Jesus was the perfect man, fully God, fully man. You can't look at Jesus and go, okay, because of this defect in your personality, Lord, was Jesus lonely? Yeah. In Isaiah 53, verse three, it actually says this. It says, that he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And this is the one that I want to really highlight. It says, and he was as one from whom men hide their faces. And that is a strong statement. Sure. And just describing that Jesus understood what it was, what it was like to feel like he was alone, that nobody saw him, that nobody really understood him. And so unlike us, right, Jesus could walk through loneliness in perfection and do it fully honoring God, but he still experienced it. And he knew what it was like to feel like everyone around him had turned or, or wasn't even there at all. You know, Sam, earlier you were talking about God existed in a relationship even before he created man. Um, You think about the Jesus crying out on the cross that that moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. This idea that he experienced that moment of, of utter loneliness on, on the cross as he was, as he was mm. dying for our sins. You can take a look at Jesus's life and there's times where he wept over loneliness. You know, he looks over Jerusalem and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you to myself like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you're not willing. He's desperate to bring people to himself, and they just won't come. And so he experiences the alienation from other people. And on the cross, like you're talking about, when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's this alienation, this feeling of alienation from his father, this eternal. And so he experienced unbelievable alienation. And so when we're walking through loneliness, one of the one of the most profound things is to think about his loneliness and why he walked through that loneliness. Mm-hmm. He cried out those words. He didn't have to come into this world. He didn't have to suffer. You know, the reason why he cries out those words is he's not willing to let you be lonely. Mm-hmm. 
He cried out those words so that you would never be alone, that he would always be available to you. And it's one of, also in Isaiah 53 when it's talking about how he's despised and rejected by men, and he's crying out from the cross. One of my favorite verses in that that we read right past is verse 11. It says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Let me tell you what that means. That means that every step, every misery, every tear, every cry from the cross, the Lord allowed him to see what that would purchase. And when he sees what that would purchase, which, by the way, guess who that is? That's you. He shall see and be satisfied. So Mm. when you think of the cross, it shouldn't drive you into the dirt thinking, oh, I'm so bad. Even Jesus had to go to a cross for me. Do you know that when he looks at you, the way you are, who you are right now, he looks at you and even from the anguish of his soul, he looks and he's utterly satisfied with what he's purchased. (laughs) You are precious and you're never alone because he bore the deepest, darkest loneliness imaginable mm-hmm. for you. Where does that put the church here now, guys? The, the, how should the church respond to the loneliness epidemic? I think it's interesting that throughout Scripture, God speaks of the church as a family. And so even the way the people of God are referenced are as communal. So there's um, there's so many verses that talk about you are a chosen people, a mm-hmm. royal priesthood. It's not just this individual identity, but we are a group. We're, we're a family, we're a community. And so I think that as the church, when we look out and when we, when we recognize the loneliness epidemic and we aren't exempt from it, sure. I think that as believers who, who know God and who have experienced the way that the presence of God um, fills our loneliness in a way that nothing else can, I really do believe that we should, that should transform us to, to go out into the world to love people well. And so one of my favorite verses is in Matthew 22, where Jesus is, is telling the people that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And that this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. And so Jesus's heart for his people is that we would love him with everything that we have and that we would also love everyone around us with everything that we have (laughs) and they go hand in hand. They can't be separated. And so when it comes to this topic of the loneliness epidemic, I think that loving people means firstly pointing them to God, (laughs) telling them of who he is and also letting them know that they don't need to be alone. And I think that that is, that is the greatest thing that we can do for people is love them and allow them, encourage them, even if they're not ready, that we want to be there. We want to be a place where they're safe, where they can be known, they can be free to belong just as they are, that they can come literally just as they are Mm -hmm. and that they don't have to, they don't have to get cleaned up or anything like that. Just come, come and let us be a part of your life. But see, in saying that, that requires us to be people who look outward. Mm -hmm. And that means that I can't just mindlessly Mm -hmm. show up to church or mindlessly go to my job or walk throughout the city and just ignore the loneliness that I see all around me. It means that if I am following Christ, that I should long to see the loneliness in others and be the hands and feet of Jesus to that person Mm -hmm. and love them enough to sit with them for however long it takes. You know, one of the keys to building relationship, obviously, is always finding things that you identify with in other people, things that you have in common. And within the church, I always think about the fact that 
even when I don't have anything else in common with mm-hmm. with people. I mean, you know, Sam and I have things in common, uh, interests and things like that. But you know, for example, with you and I, uh, generationally, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're some years apart. But what we have in common is we have this common faith. Mm-hmm. We have this the object of our faith. You know, and and when there's nothing else to to take as a starting point within the church, it can always just be that point where you walk up and you say. Tell me about what's going on with you and the Lord, or tell me about how you met the Lord, or tell me about, you know, how did God find you? How did he, how does, yeah. you know, how's he been working in your life? Those kinds of things, that's a common thing that people in the church have with each other. Even when you think you have nothing, nothing in common, we have Jesus in yeah. common. And I think it's important to note that the church isn't just the, the literal physical church. Right. Like it's not just how does this, church the walls of it but i think we're the church and so that idea of we as the church going out into our families and our neighborhoods and our jobs and being um, the ambassadors of christ who go out and love a lonely world that's really beautiful because that means that jesus which he says he sends us out to go out into the world and so i think also the church as we as people as people of god we can address and confront and battle the loneliness epidemic by loving people enough to ask them the questions that we know we wish people were asking us to, hmm. you know, it has to start in us. So Sam, what are you telling the church we should do? You yeah. know, when I, when I think about loneliness and we, going back all the way to the beginning, when we talked about the two types of, of loneliness, you, you have the outcast and you also have the celebrity. Sure. You know, the gospel comes with remedies for both of those. To the outcast that feels like nobody loves them, Jesus totally embraces them. You mm-hmm. know, he, he was surrounded by people that were total outcasts. He sought after the leper and the prostitute and the ones that were farthest away. And so to the outcast, you come with this message that the God of the universe sees you so valuable that he would give his life for you, mm-hmm. and he longs to be intimately associated, affiliated, known, and knowing you. And then the other side of that, you have the Pharisee that says, I can't possibly be known because if anyone knew that I was flawed, they wouldn't follow me anymore. And Jesus comes with this freedom that says, I know every single thing about you. You're free. You have my approval. And so the church, and this is where, you know, I can almost just apologize because the church is never going to do this perfectly. There's tons of people that will hear this hopefully. and But there are many people who have heard this that have been wounded by the church yeah. because we're, yeah. we've, we're fallen. We're a mess. If you're looking to the church to be your hero, we're going to fail you. There's one hero, and that's Jesus, and he's the one that you need to look to because if you're looking to Sam, Sam is going to fail you. Mm-hmm. Sam is going to fall short. And so he has to be the hero. And I think one of the things that the church really, really needs to do in terms of this mission is to just be gentle and humble with mm. people yeah. and recognize that you have been forgiven much, that the distance between Jesus and me is infinitely greater than me and anybody within the range of my voice. Right. And mm. Jesus calls on us to love others as he has loved us, which means to be totally sacrificial, all in, at great personal expense to lift up the lowly. Right. Mm. And that's our mission. When I hear people say things, you know, like you said, Jesus knows absolutely everything about you. It takes my mind to these stories in the New Testament where Jesus would interact with people and he would answer something they didn't ask. 
I love those stories. Yeah. You know, they come to him and it's like he knew what the person was thinking and he would actually answer something they didn't ask. And I thought that was probably the most effective way of making that point of he knows what's inside of us even when we try to hide it. There's a difference between religion and the gospel. Religion tells us, oh no, I'm, I'm a mess. I need to hide from God. Mm-hmm. But if you really understand who he is, you say, oh my gosh, I'm a mess. I need to get to God. I need to, I need to get to Jesus. I need to get to his feet because I'm a mess. That's the nature of, of our God. He is so kind and he seeks out people. The, the ones that feel like they're unlovable. No, you're precisely the one who he came on a mission for to love you and to draw near. I think one of the ways that we can intentionally address loneliness is to recognize that we can't be all things to all people and to be intentional about finding relationships, individual friends that we can go in a deeper dive to get to know and invest in. Because if we try to be a companion and a friend to the whole world and every person online... We're we're done. (laughs) Yeah, it'll never, ever be any good to them, and it'll never be any good to you. So you need to find those a small handful of people that you can get to truly know who will truly know you. That, you know, that's a rich, rich source of friendship and that's the way you overcome loneliness in part. Pra- yeah. I also would say practically I would challenge like a, a challenge if you're listening to do this this week. If you are feeling lonely, I would encourage you, uh, it, even though it feels scary and vulnerable, to find one safe person this week that you can intentionally invite into something mm-hmm. um, and make it and really like, I mean, be wise about it, but choose somebody who you can go to and say, Hey, can I talk to you? Can I tell you how I'm doing? And it could be something really, you know, it could be a, very, a really seemingly small thing mm-hmm. to you, or it could be a big thing, but I would really on a practical step is combat the lie that loneliness tells you, which is you're alone by taking ap- actions that show you're not alone. Mm. And invite people into that. Yeah, and you can have those conversations with somebody where it's not, hey, let me get on the couch and you be my, you know, let me, it's it's just meaningful conversation. Just yeah. being diligent about every week. Take somebody to lunch. Get, mm-hmm. get to know people at a deeper level that's not superficial. Right. I think it can even be as simple as like if someone genuinely asks you how you are instead of answering the way that you think that you should answer that keeps you looking like you're not lonely (laughs) allow yourself even if it's all you say is honestly i'm feeling kind of lonely like Mm. and see where the conversation goes and and if you're hearing this it might sound like that's scary to say that or not like socially acceptable but i think it is and i think that that should be if i don't know i think that could be a cool practical step too so what is your standard dismissive answer when people say drew how are you so I used to just always say, I used to always say, that's good. But then I got, um, I, I had this realization that I was saying that. And I then went through this season where I was like, I'm okay. I tried like, I'm not good. Or I would be like too honest maybe. (laughs) And with no explanation, which maybe wasn't the best tactic. Mine is, how you doing? I'm like, "Eh, fair to partly cloudy. (laughs) You know, it's like, that's a weather report. I don't know what that means, but it just means like it's complicated and I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. You know, I don't, we, I, we don't have time for this answer right now. Yeah. And there's always like, there's people, I mean, I can walk my dog and people ask me how I'm doing at least 10 times, but they don't really mean it. Maybe they do. Maybe I'm yeah. not giving them credit. <laughs> Maybe they want to know, but there are those people who really do ask us. And I think, uh, we typically can tell. And so in those moments, 
really allowing ourselves to answer them uh, in an authentic way. I think one of the, cool. I think one of the other things that's really something that we don't want to hear because, like I said earlier, our bandwidth is already stretched. One sure. of the ways that you really get to know people, serve with them. You know, if, oh, yeah. Yeah. we've got ministries here in our church where we you know, go and, and serve the homeless. When you serve along somebody, when, when you join in a labor with somebody, you get to know them in ways that just going out to lunch you never would. When you go on it's a true. mission trip, you get to know people. True. And so part of, of loneliness, and every, I have this, everybody has this. It's this aversion to being stretched further than you already are. But this is really important, and it takes this real volition to say, I'm going to sacrifice for something that's meaningful, and join in and get to know people serving others and making this world a better place. So to the person out there who is going through this, this loneliness, can we offer them some encouragement? Is there a redemptive aspect to loneliness here? Is there some way we can say this can turn out for the good? I believe so. I think that loneliness can either drive us away from God or it can drive us to him. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you allow your loneliness, and this is difficult, but when you, when you allow it to drive you to God, there, there is a redemptive aspect to it because in that present, in the presence of God, you experience the fullness of joy uh, that, that no other earthly presence can fill. Mm. Um, And I, I think that intimacy that you experience with Christ in those moments it's beautiful and it's powerful, but I think that at the same time, um, there is a choice. You know, I think our, our loneliness can drive us away. Mm-hmm. We talked about that earlier a little bit. It can sure. drive us to um, kind of cope in unhealthy ways or or to hide, but it also can drive us deeper towards God. And our loneliness can drive us to relationships. And I think if we allow it to do that, it it has a really beautiful opportunity um, to be used by God in our lives. And I think. If every time we experience the pain of loneliness, we despair, which is hard not to do, sure. that's defeating. But if when I experience the pain of loneliness, I can remind myself of truth that I'm experiencing this because I have been created by God to live in relationship mm-hmm. first with him and then with others, then that has a powerful redemptive aspect to be used yeah. in a really good way in my life and in whoever's life. I remember one of the more lonely seasons in my life when I had just come to faith. There was a song written by Jenny Owens, If You Want Me To. And one of the verses in there that stands is, that really was powerful to You're me. You're not going to sing it, are you? I'm, I was planning to. No? No. <laughs> <laughs> just checking. It, but she says, so when the whole world turns against me and I'm all by myself and I can't hear you answer my cries for help, I'll remember the suffering your love put you through and I will walk through the valley if you want me to. Hmm. There's a, a rich treasure that when you're lonely, to remember how precious you are to God yeah. fills your tank, and it gives you the strength to move toward relationship with others. Definitely. All right, so last question. What do, peop- what do we tell people that they should be doing when that loneliness doesn't lift, when it doesn't go away? Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> it's really hard because I think there is this, there, even in me, there's this desire to just want to say, you know, do this and it'll go away, but things aren't always that simple. And so I think what my tendency is to want to even give an answer, a quick answer to that. But the best thing I can think to say is to fill your mind with truth. Um, Mm -hmm. a passage that I, that comes to my mind is Romans eight and Romans eight verses 31 through 39 is is really beautiful, but I'm going to highlight a few verses. and, And it says this, that, 
Um, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that includes loneliness, that even when loneliness doesn't lift, it is not able to separate us mm. from the love of Christ. And I think that that might not be, that isn't a, you know, that doesn't change our circumstances, but it's a truth that radically changes everything yeah. because it means that I can walk through literally anything knowing mm. that what is secure is that I have the love of Christ and that I am, I am known by God. And so I think that if the loneliness doesn't lift and if you are you are drawing near to God and you are drawing near to relationships, I would just encourage you to continue to hold fast to truth, remember who God is, um, and remind yourself that uh, these promises remain true even if they don't feel true. Yeah. And just continue. I, I think the answer would be continue to yeah. pursue him. You had me at, I've got some verses from Romans. I was good with it. Yeah. <laughs> And I think one of the things on, on the other side of suffering, you know, you know how painful that is. You, mm-hmm. know, you know how dark that can get. And none of, that, none of that is wasted if you take from that and you say, you know what, I know how painful that was. And so I've been comforted. Now I'm going to comfort others. And you use that experience to go and, and love others and to relate to them. You know, it's, it's, it's the idea that Scripture gives that in every day we have things that we offer up as a living, we're living sacrifices. Mm-hmm. There are things that we're giving up in obedience to God. And in the middle of loneliness, when it's, when it's crippling and I feel alone, one of the things that is a sacrifice, and God delights in it, is when you grab hold of Him and, and say, I, you know, this doesn't make sense to me, this hurts, but I'm giving you my faithfulness right now even in the midst of the pain. And you know what that does? One, it delights the heart of God. That kind of faithfulness is stunning. But it infuses purpose and meaning behind the hard, the hard walk that you're walking through. Mm-hmm. You're giving that as an offering to a God who delights in the fact that you love him that much. That gives purpose. We'll let that stand as our last word. We hope that you've enjoyed your time with us, folks, and that this has been profitable, this discussion on loneliness. If there are questions that have been raised as you've been listening to this podcast, we encourage you to email us. Our email address is outofwater at riovistachurch.com. We'd love to hear from you. Also remind you that you can subscribe to the Out of Water podcast through iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Now it's not iTunes anymore. It's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Give us a good rating. It helps other people find the podcast also. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.